ಸ್ಥಾಪಕಾಯಧರ್ಮಸ್ವರ್ವಧರ್ಮಸ್ವೂಪಿನೆ ಅವತಾರವರಿಷ್ಠಾ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾನೂರಮರ್ದನ ದೇವಕೀ ಪರಮಂದ ಕೃಷ್ಣಂ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು so in the last class we were in the 13th shloka of the second chapter of shrimad bhagavad gita where we stopped our discussion we will continue our discussion from that 13th shloka where we find shri krishna is continuing to enlighten arjuna by enabling him to relate to that spiritual dimension of existence so that he can by relating to that dimension of existence he can come out from the dilemma in which he was suffering from and that's the thing which is of prior importance in our life the life suddenly you will find that all the so called questions of life the dilemmas of life gets resolved the moment we can relate to that spiritual dimension of existence and that's the thing sri krishna is doing at the very inception of the bhagavad gita later we will find that he will try to relate that spiritual dimension of existence with the paramatman with the one who is the lord of the yagya yagyadhipati the world is a projection of the one who is the lord of the yagya and when he projects he projects as the sentient beings as well as the insentient universe the sentient beings in essence are one with the lord is essential in essential as the conscious principle they are one but as for the manifestation is concerned there is always a difference one is the lord of the entire existence and other is bound within the happenings of existence and which has been termed as maya we won't immediately now go to that philosophical implications just let us continue with that idea where bhagavan sri krishna is trying to explain arjuna the essential nature of his being which is a conscious principle alone and which exists through eternity and that's the thing which in association with the sukshma sharira goes on transmigrating from body to body there is no as such annihilation of that conscious principle so 
That's the thing which he was indicating in the 13th sloka. Let us read the sloka once more. Dehinosmin yatha dehe kaumarang yovanang jara tatha dehantara prapti dhiras tatra namuyati. Dehina. Who is the Dehina? Let us forget about the philosophy. Just with our experience of life, let us try to understand who is the Dehina, who is the Dehi. The experience of I, bereft of its association with the body-mind complex, bereft of its association with the body-mind complexion, uh, complex, uh, this body-mind complex and its extension to the world. That is me and mine. Ahamta, mamata, me and mine. So bereft of that, there is a sense of I. Forget about the philosophy. That I, which I used to experience as a small child. When my body was just of a small child, the I which I experienced, that same I, did I ever feel that I have changed when that one who was a kid, the one who was a toddler, the one who became the kid, the one who became the young man, then he was a matured person, a middle-aged person, and then was probably an old man tottering in his sticks, does the I, that sense of I, does it change? Do I feel that the I has changed? No. So let us forget about the philosophy for the time being. So here let us try to understand that's the Dehina. The amnes, bereft of your association with the body-mind complex. That passes through the various stages of life. Do I ever feel that amnes has changed? The one who was young is not the one who is me now. The one who was the toddler is not the one who is me now. Or the one who is going to be old is not going to be the me who is going to be the old, some different person. No. So it is the same I who is going through all the changes in this body. So that is the one who is the Dehi. The scripture, what he's saying here, Bhagavan is saying that that's the way you experience the Dehi, the amnes which is passing through the various stages of life. The body is changing. Our mental attitudes are changing. The experiences of life are changing. But that amnes, that I, is ever the same. That we experience. The next line is the thing which we don't experience, for which the God is asserting. The first line he is just taking to give us the conviction that through the changes, the way the eye doesn't change. Know it for certain. This is the thing for which the scriptures are required to make us aware of that dimension of existence which cannot be experienced to the senses. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It exists, but it is beyond the purview of the senses. For that, God through the scriptures come down again and again to open up that vista in front of us. So that's the thing now he's saying. 
the same I know it for certain. Even when this body falls off, the words are very, very interesting. So specific words. The word death has never been mentioned. What has been mentioned? Dehantara prapti. I change from this one body to the other body. So there is no question of death. There is no annihilation. The Dehina remains the same. It just from one dwelling, it takes the dwelling in other. Tatha Dehantara prapti. The one who knows it. Who is that? The Dhira. The word Dhira in our scripture, we will find is repeated again and again. So many places, the word dhira, because that speaks of the practice which can lead you to that realization. Who is a dhira? The calm one who has subdued the senses, who has calmed down the mind. For him, the truth becomes palpable. It's not mere reasoning, it's not some belief in the doctrines and dogmas. You can see the truth face to face if you are a dhira. Most of the place we loosely translate the word dhira as the wise. Yes, it is correct. The dhira is the wise. But that wisdom comes from calming down the mind, subjugating the senses, going deep into the contemplation to go beyond the mind, to realize the essential nature of his or her. And once he realizes that, he becomes wise. So that's why when we say dhira is wise, it's not wrong. But to understand it, we have to go to the etymological meaning of it. The word dhira etymologically means the one who is calm, who, is, who has subjugated the senses, who has subdued the senses, who has subdued the mind. Such a person, for him, this is a fact of realization. So these words are so important. By the word, they are not speaking of any make-belief, that you need not have to believe my words. It's just if you also can become dhira, it's an experience which is assured to you. Just the way when Ramakrishna was asked by Narendranath, does God exist? His reply was, yes, and I can show it to you. There's a way. It can be realized. You need not just believe in my words. It can be realized. So that's the thing the word dhira is indicating. Don't think that it is just a thing which I am asking you to believe. If you also can become a dhira, you can also realize that it is the self which in association with the sukshma sharira, that's the mind, manumaya kosha, vigyanamaya kosha, this is meant mainly the mind which is transmigrating. In our scriptures, in some other place, they very say, very uh, an interesting example. Just in this body, when our nails grow, we pair them, we cut the nails, again it grows. So we have an idea that this physical body is something in which the sukshma sharira comes and dwells. But the scriptures say that is the main body. It's not that the physical body is the main body on which something comes and dwells. It is the our mind, our sukshma sharira, which is associated with the conscious principle, with the atman. This atma, this upahita, this 
chaitanya this sukshma sharira upahita chaitanya that's the thing which is transmigrating that's the real body just the way the nails grow and we cut off from the sukshma sharira this physical body is as if humanity we peer it off again another emanates so that's the idea that's the real the our existence is in that sukshma sharira that sukshma sharira is also not permanent on the with the dawn of the spiritual realization that also will fall off and then there after that there is no question of transmigration but as long as we are in the domain of ignorance it is the sukshma sharira which in association with the conscious principle which is our real nature which is transmigrating and the one who is adhira he knows that and for that there is no question of being delude being deluded so this muhyati muhyati means he is not deluded he knows the truth so there is no question of suffering because of death the so called the death of the physical body so that's the idea which in nutshell in just has been indicated in this shloka the dehi nosmin yatha dehi kaumaran yovanam jara tatha dehantara prapti dhiras tatrana muhyati the amnes which i experience in this life as something which is not changing even when the body is going through all the changes in the various stages of life as a toddler as a kid as a teenager as a youth as a middle aged person as an old person the amnes which is not changing that same amnes continues even after the death <clears throat> and that transmigrates again in the new body the new circumstances in the new situations there is no so called annihilation for anyone so there is no question of being dejected by thinking that i am going to be the cause of the death of so many person or i will be dying there is no question of death either for you or for the one who are there in your presence in front of you so thinking of death don't be dejected because that is not the fact so he will be one after other he will be placing uh, the layers of understanding for uh, arjuna to gaj- gradually clear off the cobwebs of his mind that's what's the purpose of the scripture to clear off the cobwebs of the mind and then you become convinced and once you get convinced then the real spiritual journey starts all these studies as such doesn't help us to grow spiritually it just helps us to remove the cobwebs of the mind that's what swami vivekananda used to say and then you have a very clear picture of your destination once you have the clear picture of destination to reach the goal is a matter of time now you know that you are in no way you can be deviated from the truth you are ascertained about the destination about the truth and now it's just a matter of time as per your aspiration as per your motivation as per your sincerity you reach your your bound to reach the goal so that is what has been indicated in the 
13th sloka. The next sloka. <clears throat> that yes, okay, we understand that there is no death for me. The real me is something which is transmigrating. But can we deny the fact that I, though I am bound to exist, I cannot avoid suffering. A little change in the parameters of life. Every day we see the temperature. But what is the temperature today? Why? Because we know a little less temperature is going to make me feel extremely cold. A little more temperature is going to again make me suffer in the form of the sultry heat. Just a particular range of temperature is pleasant for me. But I cannot assure that always the temperature will be there. Similarly, all the parameters of life, which we experience through these five senses, as long as they are within a particular parameter, life is pleasant. Otherwise, it is unpleasant, unbearable. And is it something that through eternity we have to go through this? ups and downs in the form of sensuous pleasures and in the form of pain and suffering, which at last results in disease, death. So for that now, Bhagavan will be relating to Arjuna that, yes, this is a fact. The flow is there over which almost we have no control. But there is a way to get out of the suffering. What's the way? Don't get identified with that. The fluid, the flow continue. You are not that. You're the witness. So when there is a very pleasurable situation, don't be elated. Know it for certain that too will pass. When you are extremely you are suffering, know it for certain you, there is no need for going into depression because that too will pass. Be the spectator. Just see how the game unfolds, the play unfolds and enjoy it just as if you're enjoying a world of virtual reality. That will be the thing which Bhagavan will be instructing Sri Krishna. This sense of detachment is so important in this life. The more we get identified with the happenings of life, the more it entails suffering. So let's go to the sloka and then we will continue with our discussion. Matras parshastu kaunteya, the 14th sloka. Matras parshastu kaunteya, shitoshna sukha dukkada, agama apayina anitya, tang titikshashwa bharata. Matras parsha. These words are so specific. That's the beauty of the scriptures. When they are speaking, they would won't speak a single word which has no relevance. Just to the point, the words there has been used. Matra sparsha. Matra in Sanskrit means measurement. So all the sparsha, all the senses are, is in a form of touch. Eyes, are, the light touches the eye, the sound touches the ear. The smell is comes in contact with your nose. Anything which we taste comes in contact with our tongue. And of course, this uh, physical touch speaks of the touch on the 
this uh, this uh, skin skin is actually the largest sense organ so these are the five ways i am coming in touch sparsha and these sparshas are having measurement matra i can know i can differentiate between a bad odor and a fragrance i can differentiate between more at a higher temperature and lower temperature some sound which is unbearable and some sound which is very soothing so this speaks of calibration matra so all these senses are as if calibrated the sense perceptions can be measured or calibrated so they are called matra sparsha so this matra sparsha speaks of what it speaks of actually stimuli response conditioning that as why this calibration is there why our senses has been built in such a way that to maintain the integrity of our psychophysical existence we know that certain conditions are favorable for it certain are not so this calibration helps even for a small micro we find if the temperature is unbearable speak uh, let us speak uh, we not speak of temperature if you give a nutrient they know it is going to uh, nourish it it will be drawn towards it if you give some toxin it will move away from it why that i know as a psychophysical existence as a small microbe as a physical body certain conditions are favorable for my existence certain are not this speaks of the stimuli response conditioning now the entire evolution has happened because of this stimuli response conditioning entire evolution from the spiritual standpoint of view from the vedantic standpoint of view the entire evolution is not denied it did happen but it is the product of ignorance what's the ignorance moment the conscious principle for whose existence there is no need to be associated with the body mind complex because of ignorance <clears throat> it sees its reflection in the reservoir called this body mind complex and gets identified with the reflection starts thinking i am this reflection and now the physical existence becomes the be all and end all of its existence something behind the physical existence is constantly echoing your eternal now this physical psychophysical existence cannot be eternal but something behind me is saying you're eternal and now this out of ignorance and constantly trying to manifest that echo to realize that echo in the place which can it can never be realized in this psychophysical existence and that's the result that's what results in evolution that i find a small microbe has very narrow parameters of existence beyond certain temperature it doesn't live beyond certain humidity it cannot live so now to but something beyond that is saying you're eternal so now the struggle starts against the nature i have to i have to conquer the nature to really realize that echo which is behind me so what it does it conglomerates with other cells starts dividing there's a division of labor 
to fight with the nature. Let us develop a homeostasis that even if the temperature outside is low, our body temperature is maintained. For a snake, it is not possible. That's why throughout the winter, it is in hibernation. We have evolved that whatever may be the temperature, my body temperature is maintained. So now we can, even in, in a winter, the mammals are just moving around. So what it speaks, it speaks of fighting against the nature. Why and how? The why is because of that ignorance. The same amnes, the conscious principle is echoing beyond, this behind your this psychophysical existence that you are eternal, you are eternal. And to manifest that eternity, if this ent entire evolution is happening, we are conglomerating, various cells are conglomerating, there's a division of labor. In a single cellular organism, all the functions are within the cell. And in the human body, we find some cells are specified for the blood circulation, for the heart pumping of the blood, for some for their breathing, for the, in the form of lungs, some as the brain cells, some for the digestion. So they're all specialized. Why? So that we can fight with the nature in a much better way. With all our attempts, what we are finding at last, that we can never think of eternity as per the psychophysical existence is concerned. It's impossible. And then, as a human being, we are a special, unique creature. It is the we who can realize that this is the product of ignorance, which is never possible. It is never possible to realize that our eternal nature through the physical existence, it is never possible. And then the retreat comes. Why the retreat? Suddenly, then, then we realize that actually nothing can annihilate me. It is out of ignorance. I was taking the echo to be real. The conscious principle was echoing through the body-mind complex that I am eternal. And I took that echo to be real. And I was trying to realize that echo in the psychophysical existence. There's no need. I'm already eternal. There's no need for that crutch. And then the retreat comes. No need to be associated with that. And then what happens? Let the matras parsha go on. Sukha dukha goes on. They come, they go. I need not be associated with that. Let me be detached from it. It doesn't enter your eternity through the psychophysical existence. It actually makes you aware that you are always eternal. There is no need to be, become eternal. That now the human life is, uh, say, uh, at the most 100 years, we are trying with all our medical sciences, development of medical sciences to make it 150, 125. Yes, we may, it may be possible, but that's the limit. Maybe another, uh, in another 50 years, we find the, the average lifespan has become 150. But can we become eternal? No, it's impossible. At last, the entire our process of evolution has to be cyclic. It can never be in straight line. All our discoveries in the modern science, we are still deluded that the evolution is in a straight line. It will go on and on. No. At last, we have to, as a human being, we have that faculty, have to realize that nothing can kill me. Nothing can annihilate me. All these changes are of the nature with which I got associated. I am, I was, I will be that eternal principle. Somehow, 
to enjoy the world of virtual reality, I was as if sitting in front of uh, an audiovisual, audiovisual some uh, mechanism. And I don't know when in the process I got associated with it. I started thinking that's me. And dissociate yourself and know it for certain this panorama is going on. It's in no way going to affect me. And then the question comes of starting your spiritual journey with the question of forbearance. Yes, these are the things, these parameters which speaks of pleasure and pain. I can never avoid them. This pleasure and pain will be there, but they are not mine. As because of ignorance, I was thinking it is me who is suffering. It is me who am having the pleasure. Be disassociated. For that, the first practice is titiksha. As very nice, this titiksha. This, this sloka actually speaks of the practice of forbearance, titiksha. These all will come and go. Don't associate it with, get associated with them and get overwhelmed. Try to forbear. They will come and go. They may make you feel a bit pleasurable and a bit painful, but in no way they're going to affect you in a sense. You are as you are. So just forbear with them without reacting. So agama, that's what is mentioned in the next line. That matras parshastu konteya shitasna sukhadukkada. The first line is a fact. That as long as the senses are there, it's association, its contact with the objects of senses is bound to create this feeling of shita, that shivering in the winter, ushna, the sense of feeling that extremely hot in the summer, shitoshna. And as a result, they may result in sukha and dukha. Sometimes it may be pleasant, sometimes it may be unbearable. That's the fact. The next line says of the practice, awareness and the practice. What is that awareness? Agama, apaina, anitya. There's something not permanent. They come, agama, apaina. They go and they, are imp- they, 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 they never have any permanence, anitya. They are non-permanent. Tang, titikshashva. So therefore, forbear. This forbearance is the thing. Sometimes we know the situation is such we have to bear, but in, internally we are having a lot of grudges. Just a few days back, few months back, when after the storm we had some 11 days power cut, we knew that we have to bear with it. There is no other way till the power comes. So we were forbearing. Was, was it a spiritual practice? No. Because internally we were constantly cursing the government system, that why they are taking so much time, so much of grudge, curse, all those things were there. So that's not titiksha. What's the real titiksha? Very nicely in Viveka Churamani, it has been defined. Sahanam sarva dukkhanam apratikara purvakam. That fear, forbear with all the dukkha, all the sufferings, without trying to mend Apratikar. We are trying to reform them. The next line is more important. Chinta vilap rahitam. Without worrying, 
and without grudge. Chinta is worry. What will happen to me? And vilapa, that constant, that grudge. Why such a thing has happened to me? Who the such and such person is responsible for that? We are constantly uh, cursing them, swearing at them, maybe not uh, verbally, but mentally. That's the thing which speaks of the spirit. We have to be bereft of that. We have to see what's the what's our mind is in state, which state. It has to be calm. Knowing very well that what's going on there, I am just a spectator. In no way I am affected. That's the real Tidiksha. As Swami Vivekananda jokingly in one of the places says that a mosquito was sitting on the horn of a bull and then suddenly the mosquito had a bit of conscience that most probably I am disturbing. I mean the cause of the annoyance for the bull. And he asks, that mosquito asks the bull, do I annoy you? The bull replied, oh no, you can bring the entire host of your family and sit on my horns. Means the horns have no sensation. So even if all the mosquito sits, nothing matters. So that's the thing uh, that uh, anecdote actually indicates. So from that anecdote, of course, there is a chance of misunderstanding. What's the misunderstanding? That most probably with our spiritual evolution, we will develop the capacity of anesthesia. That nothing will affect me, I won't feel. That's not a very desirable state. It's just like a veggie. You put a knife on it, no reaction. So at last, do we think that our spiritual journey is going to make us just like a veggie, which doesn't respond to the stimuli response? It doesn't speak of that. It's Tritiksha is actually, I'm fully aware of what's going on in the purview of the senses. Pleasure and pain is ensuing from it. But I do not react. Knowing very well, I am not it. In the words of Sri Ramakrishna, as he used to say, that we should be the ripened coconut. When the coconut is unripe, you can not in any way separate, segregate, the kernel from the shell. The shell and kernel are intertwined. It's impossible to separate them. But the same coconut, when it is ripened, we just shake it, you can find the kernel has been totally separated from the shell. So our existence should be like that ripened coconut. Spiritually, the spiritual evolution should ripen us so that the kernel gets totally segregated from the shell. All the sensations are there. Pleasure and pain are felt. Felt extremely they're felt, but they don't affect me. As Sri Ramakrishna, when he was suffering from cancer in the last, in his last days, when anyone is to ask him, how are you? He will say, I am well. The body is suffering. I am well. And then an, a Bengali a couplet used to say, it was a very common couplet for him. Let the body know its suffering. Oh mind, be at bliss, be at peace, be at bliss. So that is possible. It's not that 
it is something uh, which is an abstract idea. It is possible. Those, those who are spiritually illumined, they never become as totally uh, insensitive to the pleasure and pain. They do experience, but they can detach themselves. I will speak of another very nice uh, incident in the life of Swami Turiyanandaji. He was a direct disciple of Ramakrishna, a highly evolved soul. Swami Vivekananda, when he was in the West, he told his Western disciples that I am going to bring from India one of my brother monks. And Turiyananda was about to come to the West on Swamiji's request. So before he came, that's how he introduced the Western audience. Uh, Swami Turiyananda was introduced to the Western audience by this remark. What's the remark? That what I have lectured you, what all I was talking to you, if you want to see some that's, that demonstrated through a life, a living commentary, for that this brother monk is coming. He's not an orator like me, but just be in his presence. You will know that what I am preaching is something which can be internalized. It can be expressed through the life. Your life can become a living commentary. So such was the life of Swami Turiyananda. When he, in his advanced age, when he came back to India from his, he was in his, his stay in the West was for a very short period. When he came back in his advanced age, he developed quite a number of tumors on his back and it had to be operated. Now the doctors suggested that he has to go through that operation for that. He has to be, there has to be general anesthesia. He vehemently opposed, he told, no, no, I don't want to be, uh, to become unconscious. Then the doctors thought most probably he's afraid of anesthesia, that he's afraid of the operation of the surgery. Then told, you need not mind. Once the anesthesia is there, you will feel nothing, no pain. And again, you come back. Then Turiyananda told, no, I understand that. But I'm not, again, I am aversive to surgery. I, I, I am quite okay with the surgery, but I won't go for anesthesia. The doctor told us how it's possible. It's impossible. And then he told, you just tell me when the operation is, when the surgery is. Let me know sometime before that, and then you can operate. The doctors were amazed. It was done. It was, they were amazed that he could remove his, his totally detach himself from his body. No, there's no anesthesia required. He asked the doctors to let him know. And then he told after some time, that's yes, you can operate me on me now. He took some time as if to detach himself from the body. And again, the same idea. It's not that he himself through some spiritual practice or meditation uh, became insensitive of the body. It was there. That sense of detachment makes him feel the way the one who is operating, he's seeing the body, he's also seeing the body. It is not something which is happening to him. That's the thing, even nowadays, those who go through this near-death experience, many will find that same thing they're relating. That somehow they came out of the body when the operation was going on from, from the ceiling as if they were watching what's going on in the body. Someone else is as if watching. 
There are so many books nowadays. And even uh, the mainstream universities are substantiating to, the, to these ideas that it is, it is something which is recorded. Maybe we don't have explanation, but we cannot deny the fact because from that state when the doctors also declared them to be dead, they come back from that state and they say what was going on in the surgical, in, the, in that room. The doctors were amazed because he was relating the exact things that are going on. So the, how can you deny them that something was going on? So the way that ND experience happens, that you don't feel the pain of the body. The operation is going on, everything is going on, and you're seeing. So it is something like that. It is not anesthesia. That's the idea which has been spoken of here. That the sensations, I can never go beyond that. They will be there. So none of this, but none of these sensations are permanent. They come and go. If we permit ourselves to be affected by them, we will sway like a pendulum. That, that's why we have to practice this sense of detachment. It is possible. Even I was reading some Buddhist uh, uh, some meditation book, book on meditation, a Buddhist book on meditation. There, one of the novice is a Buddhist monk, a novice Buddhist monk is relating his experience that how he, for the first time, felt that to a certain extent, he got established in mindfulness. He's relating a wonderful thing that he was asked to sit down for meditation and was the, the instructor told him that know it for certain that after some time, your body will start aching. Maybe your knees will be aching as you are not habituated to sit that long in that position, your knees will be aching. Maybe your back will be aching. But make it for certain. See the pain. Don't react to it. Don't try to change the position. Move your legs. The pain you may feel is unbearable. But think that you are just watching it. You are not it. So that's one of the basic practice of mindfulness. Watch your breath. Any sensations in the body. Watch. Don't react. The moment you move, you are reacting. The moment you feel there is a mosquito bite and just try to get rid of it, you are reacting. So when, as you develop uh, in your spiritual practice, you are supposed to observe it, not to react. And then what he's saying that the one day a wonderful thing happened, that my knees were aching, I was observing, and suddenly there was a chirping of a bird. And I found no difference. The chirping was as objective as the pain. And that gave me an exhilaration. I understood that detachment has happened. So it's a thing, the one, the main problem with us, we, when we are studying some uh, thing in the physics, in chemistry, we know they are all to be substantiated. There's all the things which are written there can be uh, proven, can be demonstrated in the laboratory. So you believe them. But here, if you ask, can it be demonstrated in the laboratory? Yes, it can be. The laboratory is not outside. You yourself are the laboratory. If you can take your own, your mind, your body as the laboratory and practice it there, it can be experienced. That's what Ramakrishna did. He made his body the laboratory for the 12 years of spiritual practices. At last to say that all the religions are true. In his life, 
He made his body the laboratory through which he practiced all the spiritual traditions to speak from conviction, not from mere intellectual level, but from conviction, from his realization that it is true. Here also, the same thing, that conviction can come if we can take our body as a laboratory. And as in the laboratory, for getting the results, certain particular procedures are there. So here also the procedure is there. The procedure is titiksha. Follow this procedure and just see that whether it is something which is palpably experienceable or not, and then come back to me. As our Swami Brahmananda with full assertion used to say, that you don't practice and just come and complain. After practicing, if nothing happens, he's saying his own disciple, I just say you practice for a few months and come. And if nothing is possible, you come and slap me. You do nothing and just complain, nothing happens. So that's the thing here Bhagavan is asserting. That it comes, it goes, it is impermanent. The practice is titiksha. Tang titiksha Bharat. And what's titiksha? That Shankaracharya how nicely is defining in Viveka Churamani. Sahanam sarva dukhanam apratikara purvakam chinta vilaparahitam without worrying, without any grudge. If you keep your mind calm and try to detach yourself without reacting to it, if you just try to forbear with it, that's the first step of your spiritual journey that will take you beyond the purview of the senses. And that will open up that new portal where you can identify yourself with the core of your being, with the real existence. So that's the thing which has been indicated in the 14th Sutra. There's another thing. If we just try to understand this sloka from only from the sensate world, it does have a meaning, but that meaning gets limited. The most in our life, the cause of depression is something different because we are between the polarities, the dwanda of duality. Certain elation results in dejection. That also to certain extent, though not directly related with the five senses, what is related to the mind, that is also the sixth indriya. What's that? Why we find so much dejection in the present world? Because whenever there's a little success, there's a little success. Maybe uh, I practice singing and someone comes and just starts praising, oh, how wonderfully you sing. And now I start having something in Sanskrit called Akasha Kushuma Kalpana. We start building castle in the air. Oh, most probably another few days, I will go viral. Just I'm going to just post a, my song in the YouTube or somewhere, and it's going to be viral. There will be millions of views, and you find nothing is happening. So, what is happening from that little success, that elation? Resulting in Akash Kushuma Kalpana, you start building castle in the year. That's the thing which has been in, you know, in our spiritual journey. In our, uh, that these are the vows we take. That Akasha Kushuma Kalpana, Sarvato Bhavena Parityajya. I'm not going to resort to that. Even in a spiritual journey, it happens. One day you have good meditation and you think next day I'm going to become Raman Maharshi. It's not going to be that. And that results in dejection. Little success, elation, your 
taking you to the world of your imagination and then you are not reaching your expectation, dejection. Those who are quite experienced through their life journey, relate to it. Isn't it happening to us again and again, again and again? And this sloka speaks of that. That that also is, this mind is also having its own calibrations. And we sometimes distort that calibration with our imagination. And that leads to that utter dejection. And we go on swinging like a pendulum from this polarity of elation and dejection. And that's what the pitiable condition of ours is. So be detached. Don't read, uh, just when that little success is there, then also you be detached. Don't resort to this all sorts of imaginations. Go as with the life as the life takes you. That Swami Vivekananda's this simple word is a maha mantra. Seek not, avoid not. As per the situation, what I have to do, I am doing. I am not seeking. I am not resorting to that Akasha Kushuma Kalpana. This Akash Kushuma Kalpana is seeking. From seeking, from seeking something, it comes. That all those imagination. And avoid not. That as I am not going to become a, something a extremely popular popular in, uh, in internet, in social media. So let me stop. No. You can just take it to another dimension that I sing for my for the peace of my soul, not to please others. Whether you like it or not, that's for at least it gives me peace. What's the harm in it? Let me continue with that. That's quite okay. So I'm not seeking nor avoiding, just taking the thing as it is. And then the chances of swinging like pendulum from one polarity to the other polarity is eradicated. There's no chance. So you become equipoised. You become equipoised. So that is the thing which is called yoga. Samatvam yoga uchyati. In Bhagavad Gita it will be spoken of. Samatva. That equipoise is yoga. The more you can be in association with yourself, the more equipoised you are. And that alone is yoga. Yoga is your connection with the inner self. Yoga means to be united. The more you can be united with your inner self, the more equipoised you are. And that alone is yoga. Samatvam yoga uchyate. So that's what Bhagavan is instructing Arjuna. That this all, when you see your relative, to have that sense of dejection, that, that if you have to kill your relative, what is tremendous suffering it is going to entail. I understand that. But here also, this, I'm not saying that become like a veggie. You know, when someone has to be hanged because of uh, some crimes or something, the state punishment, when he's hanged, a mask, a black mask he has to wear. You know why? The simple reason is when he's hanged, his facial expression is bound to affect the one who is hanging him. The others who are executing their duty, they're all humans. His facial expression is going to affect you. So mask that. So this is some physical way of masking. So here also, this is going to affect me. It is not that it's not going to affect me. I cannot become insensitive. I cannot become a veggie. When my relatives die because of me, whatever may be the reason, 
maybe they are on the wrong side but it is going to it's a blood relation it is going to affect me don't become insensitive that's this uh, this suffering i do understand but relate to your spiritual dimension there's a divine plan behind it you are an instrument to it this suffering is a must but this will come this will go you are the self and those who are dying they are also the self nothing as such is being killed but in the phenomenal world as long as we are in the phenomenal existence this pain suffering will be there i need not try to avoid that but always be assured of the fact that these situations will come and go but the real me is something unchanging i am just the witness i need not be overwhelmed by it at when you are suffering then also you should know that this suffering is there which is bound to be there because of the contact of the senses with the circumstances for some time it will be there it will be going if in any problem of life when we find that someone has died or near and one has someone has near and one die has died and we feel so pitiably that dejected and sometimes someone even commits suicide for some such situation most probably they wouldn't have done that if they would have for they would have forborn and after some time they would have found that that suffering has gone away that's the nature of all our pleasure pleasures and suffering it comes it goes away we have to be a bit uh, patient if we lack that patience and then at that at the spur of the moment we may do something which is in no way going to help us spiritually so that's the thing here by saying he is giving the example of sita ushna sukha dukha but is actually indicating the situation in which arjuna is that yes i understand that this is is going bound to create that dejection but don't get identified with that it is a divine purpose divine plan behind it be a spectator if you have to get identified get identified with yourself and then with the i this idea of seek not avoid not be an instrument in the play of the divine and just proceed what you are supposed to do so that's the uh, main intention with which krishna is instructing arjuna the 15th shloka let us just go uh, proceed uh, that's what saying in the same line he is speaking that yang hina that's we spoke of that sukha dukha uh, is bound to be there we are not going to become uh, insensitive that's the idea which is spoken of in the 15th sloka yang hina vyathayantiyate purushang purushars purusharshabha samadukha sukham dhiram so amritatvaya kalpate vyathayantiyate means he is not affected o arjuna the noblest among men purusha rishabha the bull among men the noblest among men purusha rishabha purusha rishabha so just see he is the he's the most capable human being of his time most integrated person for him such dejection has happened it can happen to us also so to such a person whenever krishna is using these words always we should remember that how wonderful these words are just the way when a small child does a stupid thing and we say you are stupid it's a big terrible mistake we are doing we should have told him you are purushar shabha i haven't expect i have never expected such a silly act from you 
So that's what Krishna is saying. You're bull among men, Purusharshava. So that person who is not affected, know it for certain, that person who is not affected by happiness and distress and remains steady in both, that's the dhira. Sama dukkha sukhang dhirang. He alone is eligible for liberation. Amritattva. So that's the idea. That the more we can detach ourselves. There's this sloka, almost we have uh, the same discussion which we had in the previous. We won't repeat. It's the same discussion. It speaks of detachment. Not to become veggie, but to be detached. The body knows its suffering. The mind be at peace. This is the state which has been spoken of in our scriptures. In Kathopanishad, it is mentioned. Yada sarve prabhidyante. Ridaya sieya granthaya. Atha martyo amrito bhavati. Etavat adhi anushashanam. Wonderful, powerful words. Yada sarve our heart has many granthis, knots, innumerable desires, innumerable mental modules. We are knotted, our heart is knotted with them. When you can unknot them, all this granthi, through the practice of detachment, martyo means those who are experiencing mrityu, martya loka, martya, the word martya came from mrityu. The, everything which experiences decay and death are martya. So we are martya as per our physical existence is concerned. So that martya who is experiencing mrityu, mrityu becomes amrita, atha martyo amrita bhavati. Etavat adhi anushasana. This alone is the teaching. Nothing else. This is the only teaching in various ways we are trying to say. The scripture is like the mother. The simple truth, the child doesn't understand. She sometimes resort to uh, some uh, tempting the child with some small gifts. Sometimes with pacified words, nice words. Sometimes with strong. Sometimes with reason. So many ways. She tries her best with all possible means to make the child do what the child is supposed to do for its good. The scripture is like the mother. In so many ways, it is trying to explain this truth alone. This alone is the teaching. Detach. And then you become Amrita. The moment you are identified with your real nature, you don't become. You were already that. You just realize. You know, scripture, they speak of so, so many nyayas are there that a lady was suddenly was busy with her household work and she suddenly felt that her locket is missing. She went on searching everywhere. Where is my locket? Where is my locket? I'm not finding it. And someone told Wah, just see what a scene you have created. It is hanging in your neck. It is there only. It is something always with her. Somehow she was forgetful about it. And she was searching hither and thither. Sri Ramakrishna very nicely, jokingly speaks, tells a nice, a nice anecdote that a man, a, a villager, was uh, you know intox, was, was having the habit, was addicted to this tobacco. So at the dead of night, 
it suddenly had that urge. He suddenly had that urge for having a smoke, a smoke tobacco. So he went to the neighbor's house and knocked the door in search of fire to lit the tobacco. He knocked the door. At dead night, the neighbor opened the door and he told, what, what has happened? Why are you at this, at this time? He told, you know that I have the, this habit of addiction for tobacco. So for the fire, I came to your place. The wow, what a man you were. You're holding a lantern in your hand. You're holding a lantern in your hand. You're coming to me in search of fire. That's what we are doing. So it is with us. It's not that we have to find out, but we are somehow forgetful about it. So you become Amrita. You don't become. You are already that. This earth. So this, the thing which you are already, you are forgetful about it. You realize. And how does realization happen? The moment you can detach yourself as only practice. And then you find that you exist by your own right. You don't need the props of the body-mind senses. You, need, you, need, you don't need the props in the form of pratishtha, in the form of riches. Nothing is required. In the form of lineage, nothing is required. That I think that I will die. I want to live through my progeny. It is putreshana. As long as I live, I need wealth. Who will to sustain my body-mind, this complex, which I feel I am Vittaishana, Yashaishana, name and fame. That unless I have the sufficient name and fame, how can people know me? And if, unless people doesn't know me, where is my existence? So all this comes because of that ignorance. When the ignorance falls off, you exist by your own right. There is no need for the prop. You are no more handicapped. We are all handicapped. In spiritual sense, we are all handicapped. We need the prop of the mind senses. And then all these asanas, these props are required. They all fall off. You feel, you, then for the first time you realize that you are already fulfilled. There is no need for the prop to assert your existence. That's what Bhagavan is saying, is asserting, is trying to convince Arjuna through these slokas. So we will continue from the succeeding slokas again in the next class. So thank you all. Namaskars.